I wanted to start out with a little little story that I found that that seemed to kind of fit the message to kind of get us off to a good introductory. And by the way, my my title for my sermon is Singularity of Mind for Christ Jesus in the Church. A Singularity of Mind for Christ in the Church. So here it goes. A young man came to W.E. Gladstone. And by the way, W.E. Gladstone was the prime minister of England back in the late 1800s. Um, I'm familiar with just a few of the prime ministers of England. Um, Neville Chamberlain, of course, World War II, Winston Churchill, and then some of the present day ones. But I guess the only person that I could think of that would be familiar with W.E. Gladstone would maybe be Pastor Bill, um, maybe Mom, I'm not sure. But anyway, it was the late 1800s. Um, just a joke for you. But a young man came to W.E. Gladstone when he was prime minister of England and said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate your giving me a few minutes in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. As, as this young man, we all like to have, we all have plans for the future and things that we would love to do. And we also would love for people to approve them. But he says, I would appreciate your giving me a few minutes because he admired this, this Gladstone, a few minutes in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. And he says, I would like to study law. Yes, said the great statesman, and what then? Then, sir, I would like to gain entrance to the Bar of England. Hmm, high expectations, high goals, that's good. Gladstone replied, yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to have in place, or I have a place in Parliament, in the House of Lords. Yes, young man, what then, pressed Gladstone. Then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Isn't that what we all want, to take life easy? Yes, young man, but here's the question. And this is the question that kind of gave me an impetus, a, a starting point for my sermon, sermon when I was reading this. He says, yes, young man, and what then? See, what after life? He tenaciously asked. Well, then, Mr. Gladstone, I suppose I will die. And he says, yes, young man, and what then? The young man hesitated and then said, I never thought any further than that, sir. Looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. So what are you living for? Your answer to that question will determine the direction of your life. I truly believe that. If your purpose is wrong, your direction will be wrong. If your purpose is vague or fuzzy, your direction will be fuzzy. It is crucial that you are to be clear and correct in answering the question, what are you living for? Are you as Paul, do you have a singularity of mind to live for Christ Jesus in all that you think, and all that you say, um, in all that you do, um, do you have a heart for God as Paul did? He never hesitated. He always was obedient to God's commands, to God's word, to the Holy Spirit's um, uh, urging him to do certain things. And as we remember Paul, before he was converted, he was just as tenacious of a, of a man then as he was when he became a believer as he persecuted the church. And we know along that road to Damascus how the Lord Jesus stopped him and asked Paul why he was persecuting the church. And as we go through that ordeal, Paul becomes a believer. Um, not, not that it was anything of Paul's doings, because it was not. Paul was strictly a Pharisee, a Pharisee of a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he, and he, thought, of, he thought of his work. He took his work at great strides. He really, he really strove after them. But after he was saved, after he became converted, after he was given a new heart, after he was born again, he had a new purpose in life. He had a singularity of mind in Christ Jesus. So if your purpose is vague or fuzzy, your direction will be fuzzy, as I said. And it's crucial that you be clear and correct in answering the question, what are you living for? Every person who professes Christ as Savior must grapple with this question. Can I honestly say, for to me to live is Christ. That's in Philippians 2. If I can say yes, then I've also answered that fundamental question that, that W.E. Gladstone asked the young man. What about death and what lies beyond? 
it will be gained for me. Can you truly, if you were asked that question, and I'm asking you that question this morning, what then? What after your death? And your death will surely come unless God tarries. Um, what, what lies beyond? Will it be gain for you or will it be lost? So what are you living for? Um, another way of saying, what is your motivation in life? Is it a promotion or a position, some type of title? I know at, at the workplace where I'm at, titles are highly sought after. Um, positions are coveted. Um, things are, you know, everybody wants to be that person at the top. But is your heart motivated to glorify God? Is all these things, there's nothing wrong with these things inherently. As long as they're not, not a, as long as you're not idolizing them, as long as they're things that that's an end to themselves. So, what motivates you each and every day of your life? I want to read Romans twelve one to you and a few other verses. Romans twelve one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and that's the key to this verse for me as a living sacrifice as we were here on this earth and as we're doing our work for Christ, not that works get us to heaven, but as we become Christians, we have a longing to do his work because we're in Christ. We love Christ and we're commanded to preach the gospel. We're commanded to, we're commanded to know the scriptures. Do you know the scriptures this morning? Do you know the gospel? Would you be able to teach the gospel to someone that you met on the street that did not know Christ? You see, Paul did this daily. It was his goal in life was to preach the gospel. We know in Philippians, he goes to jail. He doesn't know if he's going to die one day or live. He doesn't know. But while he's in prison, he preaches to the praetorian guard there. He preaches to those who were chained to him. Some probably had a willing ear. I imagine most did not. But that did not deter Paul. What deters you? When we have that opportunity to give the word to someone, what deters you from speaking up for Christ? After all, he did not delay in going to the cross in full obedience to his father to die on the cross for you and I for our sins. He did not delay one ounce, one bit. Luke 9, 23 says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Those are tall orders, I admit. Um, this world has us entangled in, in many ways. Um, it's easy, and, and, and I speak of myself, it's easy to get lost in the world and the ways of the world and our jobs and our daily comings and goings. It's easy to get lost in those things and to start relying on ourselves. And when we start relying on ourselves, we get these anxieties. We get these things that overtake us that, that are circumstantial, that are emotional in nature. But if you have a singularity of mind, as Paul did, these things won't overcome you. You stay devoted. You keep your eyes upon Christ. So as you already know, there's nothing wrong with wanting these worldly things. It may be even marriage. Ryan, Anthony, um, I think that's all I might say. <laughs> it may uh, Anthony's eyebrows kind of raise a little bit. Uh, maybe I know more than he does, and I don't know, or the other way around. Uh, maybe a job pay raise. Man, who wouldn't want that? Right, Dick? <laughs> yes. Who wouldn't want a job pay raise? Some, maybe some things that, that are sold out like a new vehicle or whatever it may be that you may covet. For these things, if these things become an end in themselves, then they're idolatrous. They're things that we covet. But what really has your heart? And by the way, this is all still a man introduction, so it's going to be a long introduction. Um, so what really has your heart? What is the real motivation for living each and every day? Do your daily motivations sound like what Paul speaks of in Romans 12, 1 that I just read? If you're like me, sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And I don't say that with great pride. I say that with a shameful heart, that sometimes truly my heart does wonder wander. Sometimes uh, I take my eyes off Christ. And what does the Bible, what does God's holy word call us to do? It calls us to repentance. It calls us to repentance. So we're to have a mind dedicated solely for Christ Jesus. All our thoughts, all our motivations should be to the glory of our Savior. 
See, the very reason we were born was to bring glory to God. And everything as we're born, as we're raised, and as we become Christians, not through our own doings, but through the grace of God, all of our actions, all our thoughts, all of our being should be to his glory and to nothing else. That should be the driving thing of our life. We are to have a mind dedicated solely for Christ. Romans 12, 2, then the next verse says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you go and as we will read here right shortly, the first 11 verses of Philippians is where my sermon's coming from. It's Philippians 1, basically verses 7 through 11, but we'll, we'll read the first 11 verses. But this sounds awful familiar to what Paul is saying. By the way, Paul wrote Romans as well, so it, it, it should be um, a style of his writing. But, but he, didn't, he didn't write this out of pure style. Remember, these are God's breathed words through, through, through Paul. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and I. We should have a renewal of mind. In other words, we should put off our ways and our things, things and our thinkings of the past and put on a new mind, a mind of discernment, a mind of the gospel, a mind of perfection, of excellence in Christ Jesus. Now, will we become totally per perfect like Christ Jesus? Not in this world at this time, but we're to grow in our sanctification. We're to grow closer and closer to Christ each and every day. Can you say that? Can you honestly say that I'm closer to Christ today than I was yesterday? That you should have a discerning mind. That's another part of the first Philippians chapter, not hindered by circumstantial events or emotional situations. I'm afraid that most of us, and I get caught up in this, and it's not a bad thing, but when Ben sings, when we sing our songs every morning, whether we be at Honey Boy Building or through Zoom, um, I always get a little teary-eyed on some verses, even thinking about them, because I knew I fall short of the message therein. And, and, and that's a good thing. Because I know I'll fall short. And I know I need to, as a result of that is, if you can hear that noise, that's my golden retriever giving me a message by scratching her collar. She's just trying to get my attention. Pardon. Or she may be praying. But it says, you should have a discerning mind, <laughs> not hindered by circumstantial events or emotional situations. You see, our, our lives in Christ are not circumstantial. He's the rock that we stand upon. He's the rock that, that gives us confidence. It gives us reassurance. It gives us a singularity of mind, a singular mind towards Christ Jesus and all that we do. Um, Diane's taking my, my Molly, my, my helpmate, back to another place. Sorry. So the major point of today's sermon is how do we obtain this singularity of mind towards Christ as Paul possessed. I believe the first sections of Philippians 1 can point us in the right direction. I won't exclusively talk about all the ways that makes this singularity of mind happen, but hopefully I will serve you in a way this morning that points in the right direction by using what Paul says to the Philippian church. Now, Paul had a deep love for the Philippians. Um, they were one of the few churches that truly supported Paul, whether it be by prayer whether it would be by sending Epaphroditus to him to minister to him when he was in jail, when he was in need, whether it was by sending money, whatever it may be, they, they, he had a love for this church that was total devoted. It was total devotion. And they had a love for Paul. They loved Paul. And as the church, as sovereign grace, as we, as we meet, we need to have that same sort of love toward one another. When one of us has a need, the rest of the remaining of us, all of us as part of the church, should be eager and willing, more than willing, but have a want, um, a, 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 a drive within us to help our brothers and sisters out in time of need. So you, you know when you read the book of Acts written by Luke, the second half of the book most exclusively was about Paul and his journeys of sharing the gospel on his missionary trips. However, in the first half, we have the church being formed and the apostle Peter is leading the way as he is demanded by Christ himself when he instructs Peter. And we all remember this. In John 21, 17, 
Jesus there on the shores of Lake Galilee, um, he instructs Peter to feed my sheep, to feed my sheep. He says, if you love me, he says it three times. If you love me, if you love me, you love me. You see the first part of this and all of this is grounded in, you have to have a love of Christ Jesus. You have to have a love for the brethren, for our sisters. Without that love, nothing else takes place. Well, Peter states in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. You may want to turn there. I'll probably go a little bit faster than maybe some of you can, can find it, but that's okay. Excuse me. That's fine. But it reads, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as Paul did. As good stewards of God's varied grace, you see all our gifts, they're just that. They're gifts. They're grace. There's, there's nothing inherently good about us. There's nothing that we're good at in and of ourselves. It's by the strength of God that gives us these gifts and makes them effective. Um, it says, and so God's very grace, verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God or preaches. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's the crux of everything is that Christ be glorified to him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. What a prayer. Um, so whatever gift you've been graced with that you've been gifted with by God, use it to its full extent. Um, if it's preaching, is it teaching, then do it with your full ability. Do not worry, as Christ said one time, what you may say, but he will put the words in your mouth. Now, that does not mean we should be lazy and stray from his word, his written word, for that's the way he speaks to us is through his written word. And the way we speak to him is through prayer, which is going to be my first major point here in just a minute, is, is Paul's prayer life. So God has blessed each of us with a gift, it is our duty to use that gift for his glory. So whatever God gifts you with, use it for his glory. The apostle Paul is the paragon. He's the, the picture of what Peter is saying in these verses. Paul lives a life of single devotion to Christ Jesus and preaching the gospel to the people he meets on his journeys. And man, what people he met on those journeys. On Paul's second missionary journey, he establishes the church at Philippi. Paul has some dramatic circumstances there in Philippi. Remember the demon-possessed girl and those that were her masters, so to speak? Um, they were walking around with her, and she was prophesying and, and doing different things, and they made money off of her. That was kind of like their cash cow. Um, and, and, so, and, she, and as Paul comes up upon this, upon this group of women there at the river, these, this girl, this, these people are following him around constantly. Um, badgering Paul about why he was there and what he was preaching. So what does Paul do? He kicks out this demon out of this girl. And we know that's going to land Paul in jail a little bit later is because these people lose the money that they were making from this. But anyway, that's, that's one of the instances that he has there was he founds the church at Philippi. He meets Lydia. How could we forget her? She's a lady of, we believe somewhat means, excuse me, who sells this expensive purple dye and becomes a disciple of Christ. Not just Lydia herself, but she and her whole family become disciples, become believers. And then we know that he and Silas, Paul and Silas are flogged and placed in the prison in stocks and chains. Man, we think we have love here. We, uh, we have strife here, that we have persecution. Lord, we don't know. Um, we have the easiest life on earth, I believe. We have the most freedom of any people on earth. And yet we seems to be, it seems to be we're the most closed mouth people of speaking the gospel for Christ Jesus as on earth. Or at least that's the feeling I get sometimes. And I'm not preaching down to you guys. I'm speaking of myself as I know there's been ample opportunities to, to preach the gospel or at least teach the gospel that I have passed up or for some reason skirted around to my shame. To my shame. These brothers and sisters at Philippi became extremely close to Paul, and they both had a deep, and they all had a deep, deep love for one another. As a matter of fact, it's the church at Philippi that supports Paul 
on several occasions throughout his journeys to preach the gospel. We know when he was in Thessalonica, it was the church at Philippi that sent him um, money that, that supported him while he was in Thessalonica. Um, but it's this love for the Philippians. And the love that I'm going to talk about is what's going to un, undergird my two major points in this, in this sermon. So, but we have to understand, we have to ground things in this love. First John chapter 4, 7, 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, and this is important, because here's the, the other side of this, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you have not the love of God in you, you not are of Christ. You're not a believer. You're not a Christian. And if you have this love, then you will have prayer for, for other people, for, for believers especially, and for the lost. You'll, you'll have those works that we talked about, that those works do not grant you entrance into heaven, but but they're, they're what comes out of your, your salvation, that when Christ lives, when the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have this drive, you have this want to, to do the things of God. And so God is love. So now we're ready to begin looking at Paul's letter. There's my introduction. You'll find it was probably half of my sermon. You can, Bill and, and uh, Ben can talk to me about that later. I'm, I'm learning. I love Bill and Ben. There's that love again. I love them in, in many ways as they are very much a help me to me and all that I do and to the entire church. Um, I know this is off topic, but I couldn't help but think this morning that this morning was our um, communion Sunday and how wonderful it would have been to have that communion, to share that communion together this morning as a church, because when we do that, that love is ever present at all times. And we pray and we do those things. We do all these things that Paul's talking about and that Paul does in, 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 in remembering what Christ accomplished for us upon the cross. So we're going to read chapters, um, chapter 1, 1 through 11. If you want to find that in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now remember, Paul is imprisoned in Rome and he writes the following to the church at Philippi. Um, and remember that remember there were three prison excuse me three prison epistles the one to the Philippians to Philippi to Philemon and Colossians to the church at Colossae they're the they're the three prison epistles so Paul is writing this and he and if you've read Philippians and I didn't focus on this this morning but in about every chapter all four chapters of, of Philippians he speaks of having a joy in doing these things. These things weren't done out of drudgery, out of something that he felt he had to do. He did it. It was instinctual because the Holy Spirit indwelled Paul. That's the reason it was instinctual. It was instinctual because he was grounded in the word and the Holy Spirit filled him. He was a man of God. Acts 23, verse 11, um, we find that we, we know that Paul had to go to, to Rome to preach and that he had a desire to go to Rome to preach, but he, and he gets that desire, that desire is granted, but in a way that he didn't expect, or maybe he expected it, but maybe he didn't want it to happen this way, but it happened this way. In 2311, it says, and this was after he's in Jerusalem. Remember, he goes and he gives this gift of money to the poor there in Jerusalem. And then after that, his plans are to go to Rome. He just didn't think it would be in chains. He says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. And he tells each, and must, each one of us to take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So Paul had this reassurance. He had this assurance that what he wanted to do would be done, but not because he wanted to do it, but because Christ wanted him to do it, had willed him to do it. So here we're going to read the first 11 Verses, you may follow along if you like. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just one quick comment about verse 2 there. Have you ever noticed in most all Paul's letters that verse there 
whether it be the second verse, it's in the introduction anyway, is always there somewhere. He says, grace to you and peace from God. But the one thing I want to bring out from that is grace always precedes peace. Without God's grace, you have no peace. And I believe that's the reason it's always written that way, that grace precedes peace. You can have happiness maybe for a short time, but you'll never obtain true peace without God's grace. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer. And, and, and as, I'm reading from, if I'm, as I'm reading from my Bible off the computer here, um, I put in bold every time he said the word prayer because my first point is going to be about prayer. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. We mentioned that. Paul was, he was flogged in prison. He was, uh, the, the, the demon-possessed girl badgered him. Um, he was treated ill. He was scourged. He was shipwrecked on his way to Rome. Um, he was bit by a viper. He does all these things, but he says, He's making his prayer for this church at Philippi with joy because of your partnership or fellowship, as we might say, or I think fellowship's used in a different translation, but it means the same thing here. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. A whole sermon, a complete set of sermon can be preached from this one verse. Um, a preacher that I used to listen to, Vernon McGee, um, said that was his life verse. That was his life verse, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who will bring it to completion? Not Vernon McGee, not Paul, not you, not me, but God will bring it to completion. Numbers, uh, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You see, that's the reason he prays for them. He has the reason he has his love, and that's what it means. I hold them in my heart because I love you, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. It's by grace that they both are saved. It's by grace that they're able to preach the gospel and to defend the truth. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, he loves them. Verse 9 and 9 through 11 will be where my sermon gets most of its substance. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that their love may abound more and more in what? With knowledge and all discernment. That he was, that's what he wants them to have. Knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. He wants them to approve what is excellent. He wants them to be excellent. Now, we don't mean excellent in that he'll be perfected or be that we will be in perfection as Christ Jesus is today, but that as our sanctification, as we grow in Christ, we will, we will strive after. We will strain forward as the way of Paul would, would word it, towards those things that are excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. How we long to be pure and blameless when Christ, when we see, when we meet God on that blessed Jesus Christ on that blessed day. Won't it be nice to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So point number one, let's set the water, is prayer. And I wrote it out. Prayer, this is my number one point. Prayer is essential for spiritual growth and maturity in the church. Prayer is essential for spiritual growth and maturity in the church, point one. Paul mentions praying for one another three times in the opening paragraph of this personal letter to his beloved Philippian brothers and sisters. And I promise being, and I have to uphold my promises, I wouldn't be a good Christian if I didn't hold my promises, I had to uh, include a Charles Spurgeon quote. And so here it is. Charles Spurgeon says, it is not a matter of time so much as a matter of heart a matter of love. If you have the heart to pray, you will find the time. If you love the brethren, if you love Christ first and foremost, then you will have a love for the brethren. When I say brethren, ladies, I mean you too, ladies, brothers and sisters. 
So if you have the heart, you will find the time. You see, most often we hear people say that they don't have the time to do this. They don't have time to read the scriptures. They don't have time. Yes, you do. You make the time for what you want to do. People do what they want to do. I'm a firm believer in that. If you don't believe it, go and look where they spend their money and where they spend their time, and you'll know what they love to do the most. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 17, he's going to echo what Paul's already said in the first 11 verses of Philippians. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the sinners. See, there it is, your love toward all the sinners. So he knows this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. There it is. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge in the spirit of wisdom. That's the discernment we talked about. That's that knowledge we talked about. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. See, we're honing in on that. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love, there it is again. See, everything comes out of that love that we have for Christ. Not that we love Christ first, but that he first loved us. That's what plants that seed. That's the reason we have love. But when we have that love, then we pray for the saints. We have a prayer life. So what is Paul praying for in these verses to the Philippians? First, notice there's a profound love Paul has for all the churches that he's writing to. It's a divine and discerning love. And it's out of a deep, divine, and discerning love that Paul begins his letters to his beloved brothers and sisters that he's preaching the gospel to. And as I go through the two main points, there's a second one, believe it or not, that I want to expound on. Remember that it's Paul's love for them, the Philippian church, as to why he is writing to them. Remember, Paul is in jail. He is chained to um, this imperial guard, praetorian guard. Um, And you can imagine... Um, If you're one of those guards, you either loved your job or you might have hated it, Uh, depending on where your heart was at, depending upon how this Holy Spirit moved within you. But notice how there's also a sequential nature of Paul's prayer. If if, If first you must have love, that's the first part, you must have love, and from that love, you will pray for the saints. And what you what do you pray for? Paul prays for the flock at Philippi to grow in all knowledge and discernment. So that's what he's praying for. In other words, to grow from spiritual babes into a people who are mature in the word of God. How do you become mature in the word of God? By reading it, meditating upon it, by praying about it, by asking the Holy Spirit to give you discernment on on the word. If you're not in the word daily, brothers and sisters, I question how deep your love is for Christ. For that's his love letter to you. That's how I, I, I laugh at how people, I, I, I've worked with people and they're, they're well-meaning people, but well-meaning does not get you to heaven. Well-meaning does not get you anywhere unless it's grounded on the truth of the gospel. But, but, they, but they do not, they, they, they have good intentions, but it's not grounded in the gospel and the truth of the word. That they're, and then we have some people who are born spirit, they, they become saved, they become Christians, and they're babes in Christ spiritually, and they move no further. Well, how do we move further? By the word, by growing in the word, by reading his word, by meditating, by the Holy Spirit imparting that discernment to you. Um, and, and then we go from there, the next sequence is in the final, and at once they are, and once they are mature, then they can attain to the things that are excellent, pure, and blameless. The end of that, those uh, verses eight and nine or so it is of the part of, of um, the, the prayer we're looking at from Paul to the Philippians. So I'll, I'll read that one more time to you so we can kind of sink in the verses nine through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. See, he has that his love, that your love may abound more and more with what? knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. We briefly touched on that. We'll touch on it again in a minute. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We'll touch on that again in a minute. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ 
to the glory and praise of God. You see, if you have these things in your life, then you will have a fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. To your glory? No, I don't think so. To the glory and praise of God, God Almighty. So what is he praying for? He's praying for the Philippian saints to abound in knowledge and all of the sermons. Number one. Number two, he's praying for them to become mature Christians, to grow, to grow from babes in Christ to mature Christians. Number three, he's praying for them to approve what is excellent. Number four, he's praying for them to be sincere and blameless till the day of Jesus Christ. And finally, he's praying that they do all these things to the glory of Christ Jesus. And I'll touch on a few of these this morning. So let's look at the first imperative that Paul prays for, for the saints at Philippi to abound in knowledge and all discernment. Let's focus on that. And by, in way of beginning on focusing on that, let's read from Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. Notice I'm using these other epistles that Paul writes to these other churches because they were very similar. And he prays and he loves each and every church. As when he went on these other missionary journeys, remember, he revisits them to make sure that they're growing in Christ, that they're growing in the scriptures, that they're not allowing false teachers to set in, to disrupt what, what he's so, that he's already taught them and that the spirit has implanted in their hearts. And so here goes chapter 4, 11 through 15 in Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, how did we do that? He preached to them. How did he preach to them? He knew the word. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, taking them from babes to Christians who are mature, until we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, once we have that love for one another and we pray in for one another and we're seeking out God's word with one another and listening to sound preaching as Pastor Ben and Bill do, on a consistent basis, Sunday after Sunday, um, our, our knowledge and our and, and discernment of the word will grow. And, and when all this happens, then we have a unity of the body of the church. We grow together as one. And so we grow into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer, see here he says, he's finishing up in Ephesians, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking in love, there it is again, we are to grow up in every way into him who is to head into Christ. So how do we know what's counterfeit? How do we know? Um, I'll, my, my dearest, one of my dearest friends, and, and I call him a mentor of mine as well as Nelson Lassie, I, I don't know if he remembers, but way back and a few years ago at Bethel, as uh, Nelson taught Sunday school, he told a lesson one time when he was talking about how do we know what's counterfeit. He said, you compare it to the real thing. You compare it to the real thing. As money, how do we know if a dollar bill is counterfeit? Well, you hold it up to the real thing. How do we know what's false teaching? We hold it up to the words of the Bible, the real thing. So, so we need to stay away from the, the deceitful schemes of the false teachers, but rather speak in love and grow up in every way into the head, which is Christ. Peter echoed the same thing in 2 Peter 3.18. He said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's that theme over and over and over again. So how do they abound? How does this happen? Well, one way, the first way, is by studying and reading the scriptures. I've mentioned that already. But that's one way, by studying and reading the scriptures. Um, the second way is by striving in the gospel in unity. As a whole, as it said in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. That's the reason we're, we're, we're here today be it in a way we might not feel is the best way, but we're doing all we can to meet as a church and to meet and we have a unity about us. I don't know if you notice as I do before the service ever starts, we're all greeting one another in kindness and, and, and maybe kidding around a little bit, but it's in love. 
there you can honestly tell there's a love for one another for the saints of the church of sovereign grace baptists and then so we have so by by studying the word and reading the scriptures by striving in the gospel and unity as a whole as it says um, and then the third way is by compulsive prayer um, paul preached or paul prayed and as we all do and there's almost we could say there's two types of, of prayer if you will there's a prayer that's demanded or commanded we're to pray and then there's a prayer that's compulsory it's a prayer that as a as a um mature christian that as we're thinking of one another and as we're thinking of each other's downfalls or our stumbles or or those things and, and we pray that we do not become a stumbling block for one another we're just compulsively we, we pray on instinct maybe instinctual would be a better word than compulsive i don't know um I, I know i'll find out later but anyway nonetheless i digress um we know that christ taught the disciples how to pray and we know that we are commanded to pray but this is more of a compulsive type of prayer paul's prayer life was compulsive it was done on instinct without thinking about it in a formal kind of way versus corporate prayer that we pray during church or even before the dinner table. So Paul, because he loved these saints at Philippi, he was always, always praying for them and, and for all the other churches too, because some of these, these letters were circular in nature. In other words, they would be preached, they would be sent to one church and then passed on to the next. He loved them all. They, they, most of these churches were founded by himself. And as he would go back on his second and third journeys, on his missionary journeys, he would check back in with them to see how they were doing to encourage them. And in some cases, to admonish them. For some had fallen away and given away to false teaching. So Paul's prayer was strictly spiritual. He didn't pray for worldly things. He didn't necessarily pray for how he was treated on his time on earth. I know at one particular time, the only time that I can think of, um, that Paul may have done this as he asked that God take the, the thorn from his flesh. I know you all remember that. And how did God respond to Paul? He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And by the way, we all have thorns. None of us are perfect. We all have thorns. And the same reply to Paul is the same reply to you and I. My grace is sufficient for thee. So Paul had a zeal for the church at Philippi to grow spiritually, to abound still more and more in real knowledge and all the sermon. So to sum up point one with prayer, man, what a point. And, and, and this, is, this was really my main theme for the whole thing was to have a, a love for the people of Christ and for Christ himself. And out of that love comes prayer for one another. And out of that comes a growing, a maturity in the, in the scriptures. But Paul prayed incessantly um, for spiritual growth. His prayers were out of a profound love for the brethren at Philippi and sisters. Don't want to offend anyone. Paul prayed for unity within the church. Remember the, the uh, Proverbs 17 verse, iron sharpens iron as man sharpens man. In other words, that's the reason we meet. That's the reason we gather. That's the reason we're here this morning. Iron sharpens iron. Paul's prayers were not formal in nature or something that was planned out. He prayed unceasingly. He prayed to have a relationship with Christ. Um, to have a relationship with Christ, we have to speak with Christ. And how do we do that? We do that in our prayers. Finally, my brothers and sisters, I promise not to go as long as Ben did. I take that back. I'm going to try to outdo him. No, that won't happen. Um, <laughs> Point two, had to say that, sorry. To approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Point two, to approve the things that are excellent. Man, what a tall order. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And we're going to unpack that and talk about some of these words and these verses and what they mean. So let's begin with the phrase to approve. The word approve means to test something, to see if something is counterfeit like money, as we talked before, um, or maybe like a saying metal for any impurities. So 
We need to, to approve it. We need to test it to see if it's the real thing. Okay. So, and then we go on to say, so to know if something is excellent, it must be tested. So that's the re reason he says to approve. So, so these things that are tested, so these things are to be excellent. They're to be tested to see if they're excellent. So how do we test the things that are spiritual? That's, that's easy, folks. That's easy. We test them by God's word. Remember the Bereans in the book of Acts, chapter 17, as Paul preached to them, boy, you have to love these Bereans. Paul had a reputation about him. In fact, the Judaizers, the, the, the Pharisees, they would follow him from place to place, trying to undermine his ministry. But Paul spoke the truth. He spoke the gospel. But yet these Bereans, even still, what did they do? They checked behind him. They read the scriptures themselves to be sure that what Paul was preaching was the truth. And I encourage you to do the same thing this morning or any other morning. And if you do that, that's one way to be in the scriptures. Okay. In other words, do not just differentiate between what is good versus bad. We all can do that. We all know we have a conscience. We all know what's good and what's bad to a certain level, but it's to know what is best. To know what is best and what is best is Christ Jesus. If we want to know what is best for us spiritually or in any kind of way, we compare it to what the word of God says. We read Holy Writ and we pray for discernment from the Holy Spirit. We do not have it on our own. When we do that, we tend to pick verses from here and from there. And then we, we, we take partial, we take truth and we combine it with falsehood. And we have a false, we have a false gospel. And that's the reason, as, as Pastor Ben so eloquently does, and I love his preaching this, we preach expositionally from verse to verse. It all flows together. It's taken into context. We have discernment for what we're reading. So, and finally, we read in order to be sincere and blameless. Are you sincere and blameless in all that you do for Christ Jesus, in your love for Christ, in your prayer for the brethren, in your reading of the scripture? The word sincere means to be genuine. Are you genuine? From my studying of the text, the illustration that was that, was that of when, when they were making pottery back in the day, when they had the clay on the spinning wheel or when it was fired or baked in the oven, the pot or whatever was being made had a defect or may have had a defect. If it did have a defect, the dishonest pottery maker would take hard wax and fill in the defects for the cracks and then they would paint over it as to hide it because they were unscrupulous. Discerning buyers, though, discerning buyers, discerning readers of the scriptures would pick up this piece of pottery and hold it above in the sunlight as we do the scriptures. We pick it up and we hold it in the light and we read it. That light is the Holy Spirit that, that gives us guidance, that, that, that helps us discern the word. If the pottery had wax in it, then it would be visible. You see, when you held that pottery up in the light, you could see through. You would see that wax. You would know that that pot was, was um, a pot that wasn't of excellent making. It had a defect. It had a flaw. And so if the pottery had wax in it, it would be visible. In this way, they would know the dealer was trying to sell something that was defective. So to be sincere and blameless means you're genuine, number one, in who you are as a Christian, and you live a life that doesn't cause other Christians to stumble. You are blameless. Man, I have to watch myself there sometimes. Sometimes I get away from the word of God, and I'm just speaking out of honesty um, here, and just um, out of my heart to you that, that sometimes I'm not so Christian-like. Sometimes um, I take my eyes off Christ, and I do things that are not of integrity, Christian integrity, that are not blameless. They may, the wrong person around or anybody around may cause my brethren to stumble. And what do we do when that happens? We repent. We repent. And we repent specifically, specifically of the sin that we've committed. Okay? And it says, so you are a Christian with integrity you are filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. So in the end, in closing, um, didn't quite make that hour. So I was hoping for, for pastor Ben to make him proud. I always love picking at Ben and Bill. 
To sum up today's message, know that we are to have a love, a deep love for the saints, and that we are to do two things. Number one, we're to pray incessantly. We're to pray spiritually. We're to pray for the things that bring glory to God Almighty. And then number two, we are to live a spiritual life that is singular in purpose for God's glory. And we do that by abounding in the scriptures, striving for excellence in the way we live. And we are sincere and blameless in our daily walk in order not to cause our fellow Christians to stumble in their daily walk with Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the Holy Spirit and giving me guidance. Father, give me clarity of mind to speak your word. Father, I know what I've spoken may not be perfect. I know there's times when I've maybe stumbled or my, my thoughts wandered a little bit. I don't know. But Father, it's not of me. That's where we draw great solace and assurance from you that it's not us that makes the change. It's you. It's the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit through this sermon will touch if not, not all, at least one person that was listening this morning to touch in a way that, that they would have a mind to, to pray for those whom they love, that they would pray for those whom they love and that they would, that they would, that through that prayer and that love, that there would be a, a, um, a, a drive to a, a warning to, to read the scriptures, to, to know what the scripture says, to be able in every case in every, Every in any time at your question to have a defense for the gospel. Well, Father, I thank you for this morning for the opportunity to, to preach this morning. Father, as I was full of nerves, Father, your Holy Spirit gave me calmness as my anxiety rose higher and higher. Lord, your your spirit gave me assurance. Oh, Father, thank you for those you've placed around me to nurture me, to grow me, to love me. And I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.